Hi, welcome to Clitterly Speaking, the podcast. I'm Michelle Doherty. And I'm Emily Lane. We are BFFs dedicated to bringing you conversations between girlfriends over a bottle of wine. Oh, I am so excited about the wine part. Oh, me too. So pull up a chair, grab your glass, and let's get talking. Hey, 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 Emily, how are you? Hey, 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 Michelle. I'm really, I'm doing good. I'm very excited about our very professional rigs that we have in our own homes right now. I know. I feel like a, I feel like a total professional now, you know, like we've seen other people out there in the podcasting world and they're, you know, recording at home or, you know, doing things. I mean, it's almost reverse, right? We've been in the studio since we started. Right. And now we're at home and now we feel like a professional. <laughs> well, I, uh, you know, I'm not so sure that I, I share that sentiment. I am, I'm just glad that we've got, you know, we're making do with, uh, with the circumstances and we're going to still be able to have great conversations with amazing people and that, um, I've been able to successfully set up a studio in my closet. So nice. I'm pretty happy. Yeah. 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 It looks good. Um, you know, all those shoes and on both <laughs> sides. I, uh, I don't know if there's enough days in the year for you to actually wear every pair one time. Oh, well, are you close to 365 pair there? I, you know, maybe not here in this closet, but probably collectively, I probably have. I have enough to get by. Yeah. Yeah. I learn something new every day. Now I get to peer into your closet, right? I'm like, oh, what other skeletons and shoes do you have in there? Oh, well, you don't want to talk about the skeletons that are in here. That's for sure. So, yeah. How are you? First of all, you didn't tell me how you're doing. Oh, I'm good. I want to. I want us to give a shout out though first to our incredible audio engineer Sam at Shock City Studios for making this possible for us. Right? I mean, yes. he he contacted us and said, "Look, you guys still want to have a high quality product, even though you're social distancing. I know exactly what we can do for you." And it's like you know, again, great service. And they provided microphones. Um, you know, yes. total tech support. And uh, we just, I mean, we've got a really great, a great partner in Sam and, uh, and yes. Shock City. So kudos to them um, and he- helping us stay at our high quality. Absolutely. You know? that, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, we're actually using our very mics that we use in studio. So it feels, it feels like, it feels like we're there and it's nice to be able to see everybody's faces on the, on the Zoom, uh, this Zoom screen. So um, That's other right. than that. You know, I, I, I'm doing great. You know, I'm managing the social distancing pretty well. Um, I am, you know, cooking a lot at home. Uh, I'm, I'm taking care of things around the house. I went through my file cabinet the other day that I've had, um, here in my office for years and I cleaned out a stack of file folders. Probably what's that? Like a foot high. A foot? Of, yeah. A foot high of empty. I mean, they were they were full, but by the time I emptied them all, a foot high of manila folders that are no longer being used. I got rid of explanation of benefits from my cancer treatment. Oh, I, yeah, time to burn I that. decided I no longer needed to keep the bill from my surgery from six years ago. Uh, you know, it felt really good. So we are making some progress here at, at uh, Casa Michelle, Studio C, if you will. So That's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's And the weather's, weather's been great too, you know. 
Very helpful. Very, like the sun is shining, you know, being able to get outside, go for walks, you know, stay, stay distant from people and maximize our technology. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've been looking at a lot of people on the computer screen for a lot of time these days. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I just hope with social distancing that it doesn't train a new behavior with all of us. Um, I, you know, I'm still at the stage when I see somebody outside, I wave, I smile, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm starting to see people get a little bit more afraid and I'm just hoping that, that, you know, us um, practicing social distancing doesn't impart this fear and um, change the way that we interact with one another. I think it's going to change a lot of things. You know, maybe maybe we can uh, find uh, find more value in our in our interactions with people face to face. We won't take them nearly as granted nearly as for granted as we probably did, you know, three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I'm hoping that this time that we are spending apart, even though we're focusing on things in our homes and, you know, still working and, you know, connecting with folks on Zoom and meetings and things of that nature, that we are, um, that when we come out, that we have a, a, a greater appreciation for all that we took for granted and those that we took for granted, you know? Yeah. Um, it's, time will tell. And, you know, and I think uh, people who, who can, try to find a silver lining in all of this, uh, it might be easier to get through it. You know, you mm-hmm. just find some kind of positive every day. Um, if, if we just, if we dwell on the negative, it, we can go down into a deep, dark rabbit hole. Right. But anyway. Can I tell you some silver linings for today? Uh, well, I hope so. Yeah. So some silver linings. One, I have excellent wine to drink and I can't wait to tell you about it and I can't wait to learn about what you're drinking. And we also, number two, have a guest on that I, Michelle, I've been looking so forward to you meeting her since I got back from El Salvador. So we finally get to have that conversation. Yeah, I know. I, I'm looking forward to talking with her as well. I mean, you even mentioned her while you were in El Salvador on one of your I know. Uh, WhatsApp messages late at night I when, did. You had a, when you had a moment to yourself. So I'm yes. looking forward to, to meeting her as well. And the wine, Emily. I, yes. I thought you were drinking a, a white wine tonight. Yes. Well, it's a rosé, but first let me say, welcome, Mary. Mary! Yay! (laughs) This is quite the experience. Hi, Mary. How are you? Oh, my gosh. Thank you. Good, good. Thanks for joining us. Well, the wine that I have for this conversation is one that Jason had picked out. And um, this is a rosé from the Basque region of Spain. Um. It is just this really lovely kind of salmon pink color. Um, I'm finding, you know, a lot of, on the nose, a lot of those kind of berry notes, like the cramp, but tart berries, like, um, you know, red cherry and cranberry um, that follows through on the palate. But what comes with it is a surprise of effervescence. And then it's got some really nice minerality. I'm getting this kind of whetstone and flintiness and chalky kind of minerality that um, really is 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 very pleasant on the palate. So this is a 2019. I do not know what Jason charges for this. I've noticed like in the market, it hovers around $23. Jason's usually a little more reasonably priced. So um, I 
we'll definitely be getting more bottles of this. It's lovely. What are you drinking, Michelle? Social distancing. So what is the name of that one? It is called Amestois. Amestois. Sounds delightful. Sounds like the perfect springtime rosé, you know, as the weather is, you know, changing and getting warmer and stuff like that. Um, Absolutely. I'm I'm drinking from my dear old boxed wine again. Nice. Yeah, it's uh, from the the wine merchant. I know I mentioned it the other day on our time of the month show. Um, Vignetto, I believe is how you say it. Okay. And uh, it is a nice red, still a very easy, um, easy drink. It's a Barbera. It's from the Piemont, Piemonte region. And uh, it is a total of uh, sixteen ninety nine for the box. So, so that is a value panning. That is definitely a value wine and um, <laughs> and uh, keeps you going because that's three bottles in one box or four bottles. I don't know, but it's definitely a good value. And I like how, um, you know, I don't, I don't drink a lot of boxed wine. But mm-hmm. it every time, I mean, it's holding its, uh, you know, it's not turning, it's holding it, it it's whatever. Every time I pour a glass, it's like I have a, I've opened up a fresh, bo- a fresh uh, bottle. So I That's like great. that. I like that with it. So, um, yeah, and it's a, it's a, it's a good solid everyday pair of panties, and uh, you know, with your basic colors of, uh, you know, black. That's, you know, we all need those in our repertoire. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mary, tell us a little bit. What are you um, partaking in during this conversation? I'm uh, drinking some uh, Romanian wine. Ooh. Um, This particular. I love Romanian wine. Oh, cool. I don't know if you know this one. Um, It's called Encanta. It's a Pinot Noir. It's not very expensive at all, but it's really um, very tasty. How wonderful. Did you by a chance get it at Novella Wine Bar? That might have been it. I don't know. My husband got it. Yeah. I think she serves that there. And I've had the Pinot Noir, the Romanian Pinot Noir there, and it sounds Mm -hmm. familiar and it's delightful. Yeah. It's very tasty. Yeah. How lovely. Well, Mary is such an amazing woman. We actually met on the flight to El Salvador, which um, we were invited there on behalf of an exchange program uh, with uh, between our governments to kind of help um, consult uh, the local textile companies on how to um, expand their imports into the United States. And um, I had a chance to meet Mary on the airplane and uh, on the way down there. And then just within that first day, it was kind of like, clearly, we are old friends. We have been friends forever. So, (laughs) but Mary's had um, a a very um, interesting life. Uh, She's a, a... a fashion designer by trade and teaches fashion design at Washington University, has owned a boutique in Paris, um, has done a lot of really fascinating things. She's an inventor. Um, uh, So I was just really excited to talk to her all about fashion and our amazing trip to El Salvador. Yeah, you know, I remember we did the uh, shuttle bus ride from the airport to the hotel. Yes. And uh, we just kind of just like 
talked like we'd known each other forever and I leveled my whole story. (laughs) (laughs) Emily has that way about her. (laughs) I know. (laughs) You'll end up telling her things. You're like, I I didn't, I've not told anybody that for ever my whole life. And now you got this secret out of me. I've only met you. Yeah. She has that, she has that way. So if there's anything that you don't want us to talk about, (laughs) you better, you better like write it down at right in front of you and say, don't mention this because we're going to probably get it out of you if you don't have some kind of plan in front of you. <laughs> well, this oh. is exciting to meet uh, to meet you, Mary, to hear about your story and to um, you know get get to discover you along with all of the listeners uh, who mm-hmm. are listening to the podcast today. And I'm excited that you guys met in El- on the plane in El Salvador. What were your impressions when you both like when you landed? Had you been to El Salvador before? I know Emily had not. Mary, had you? I hadn't either. I, uh, that was one of the things that intrigued me about this trip was that, you know, I, I, I've been to factories and fashion industry in Paris and in Morocco and um, not and in Africa. And it's not in um, uh, South Africa and Uganda and stuff. And it's not like... Um, they're all the same. And so I was very curious to see what it was like in Central America because I'd never been. Right. So when you landed, what were you all, what was your impression? So um, I kind of want to back up before landing, uh, just because, you know, El Salvador is a place that um, has had a very complicated history. And when I was telling my friends and my family that I was going to be heading down there, it was met with a lot of fear. People were like, are you sure it's safe to go there? And um, there was just something inside me that said, I have to go. And so when I landed in El Salvador, it was definitely one of excitement for a myriad of reasons. Um, not only the warm, wonderful air that greeted us was that, you know, that was very inviting, but it was became very clear um, pretty immediately that we were with a group of people that every person that was on that trip um, was fascinating and interesting. And Absolutely. so I, you know, it, it was such an opportunity to meet of um, really uh, inspiring people and uh, share the experience with others. And so, you know, that added to some comfort and definitely took any potential hesitation or fear I had away. Um, I thought, it was nighttime when we landed, so we didn't really get to see that much. We felt a very bumpy ride to the hotel. <laughs> but that was, you know, nighttime. It's really fascinating. The, the infrastructure, the roads are actually very nice there, which I did not anticipate. It was bumpy for Mary and I because we were on the back of the bus because you know, that's where the cool kids hang out. <laughs> right, right, right. And holding on to your bags and your purses as you're bouncing around and laughing, wishing you had a glass of wine with you at that time, yeah. right? Or I would have been wearing that glass of wine, but well, yeah. And you also have to take your sippy cup with you next time you travel. Right. So you have a lid on it, you know, um, you know, sippy cups for grownups. Um, so uh, Mary, what was your impression 
Well, um, kind of thinking about like from when we took off, it was kind of cool for me. And, and I want to make a, a shout out to uh, Junkha Brookshire, the um, professor from uh, the University of Missouri, which is my alma mater. I have my master's and my PhD from there. And she's a professor there. And um, she is actually the magnet that drew all of these mm-hmm. cool people together. Um, Very true. Uh, when she worked in the industry uh, before getting into academia, she had actually uh, worked with factories there. We visited one of her the factories that was um, her um, supplier back in the day. So if it wasn't for her, she wouldn't have got that grant, and that grant wouldn't have gathered us all together. So, yeah. Yeah, it was. It's uh it, it was a really remarkable place. Um, you know, despite all of the warnings and and everything that you hear, um, you know, we were smart about things, you know. We were, but do you remember? I mean, we saw some things that um that I that I was like, uh-huh. I I'd been in that kind of environment in Uganda. Um, not in any other of the other countries that I've lived in. I mean, well, I guess I have uh, walked in the metro of Paris when the, you know, uh, military people were standing there with their big guns to protect everybody and different things. But uh, we would go out into an industrial park and um, there would be guards standing outside of the buildings with guns. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So that yeah. can be a little intimidating. A little concerning. A little bit, but yeah. more reassuring. So I asked some of the people, I was like, well, what's with these guns? You know, They're like, oh, they just, they just have them for show. Never use them. It's no big deal. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it definitely, you know, it's, you can tell that they have a, have had a violent history. Um, and, you know, one, because of, you know, the, everybody's, you know, the, the massive arms that like the police are, are carrying. But in addition to that, you know, it's, there's, people are, they acknowledge it when you talk to them. And in fact, the number one question I received when I was there from locals was, are you afraid to be here? And I asked them, uh, you know, should I be? (laughs) And more times than not, that that was answered with either silence, which I thought was interesting, um, or it was like, well, you know, we've had our history, but things have really evolved in the last couple of years. I think since our new president has come into place, things are feeling much more at peace. And, you know, it was so fascinating because when we were talking to these business owners, they all would share their hardship story. And, you know, they've been through civil war and just so many, the gang violence, they've been through a lot. And, um, you know, education is is not a given. And the division between those who have something and those who don't is fast. There is no middle class there, you know, and these are all things they're wanting to to remedy. But they, um, they all have this hardship story that's, uh, true and honest, and they have such pride now being on the other side of that hardship that when they tell the story, the tears that are coming from their eyes are real, and the responsibility that they feel to give back to their community and those who they work with or employ is greater than anything I've ever seen. 
Every single company too. Mm -hmm. Every single company. It was really amazing. And um, I I completely agree. And I think that um, that was like, I don't know about you, Emily, but when I like went, started off on this trip, I didn't really know what to expect. I didn't really know what was expected of me. I thought it'll be interesting, but I, I didn't quite know what it was all about. And then through the presentations of, uh, you know, our hosts and everything, I realized that it is about trying to help El Salvador develop that middle class, get that st- stable middle level. And the clothing industry has historically time and time and time again proven to be the vehicle for that. Um, in El Salvador right. or just well, in around general? the world? Around the world. Okay. Actually, the Industrial Revolution was started the very first machine that was put in the very first factory was a mechanical loom. Uh, the early sewing machine, right? No, a loom. <laughs> a loom. A loom. Right, right. Yeah. The fabric with this, yeah. this was probably make- this was probably about maybe 50 years before the sewing machine existed, at least. Oh my. Um and wow. so uh in America, our you know, the the East Coast in Massachusetts, the the weaving factories and the apparel factories, it's it, it was a way to start building um, urban centers and uh, giving women a place to work. It was the first place that women worked outside of the home mm-hmm. within a, a textile factory. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, from what I can recall, you know, textiles were, you know, were, were big in like the North Carolina and the, in the mm-hmm. South, you know, like, I guess maybe it started in the, on the East coast and North and the industrialized and then moved South. And then, but then they've left, right. They've gone more of those places or the big, the big manufacturers have gone to uh, South America, China, things like that, because the labor is cheaper. Them. Some of them have, but the interesting thing and on this trip we visited also, you know, in, in terms of textile, sorry, my teacher's coming out. No, no, that's totally fine. (laughs) There's the fiber Uh and that's like the fluff, say the fluff of a cotton ball. That's the fiber. And then there that you take the fiber and you turn it into yarns and then those yarns, you can knit them or you can weave them or you can do different things with them. And so, um, uh, the, uh, North Carolina area became very strong in that because of the cotton fields mm-hmm. they, mm-hmm. and, and American cotton is really very good quality. Um, the up, upland Pima, I think it's called. Um, and uh, so uh, then a lot of the manufacturing went offshore, but in like, Oh, I don't know, maybe about 15 years ago or so I was on this tour to look at the textile industry in the Southeast so Georgia and North Carolina and all that area. And the thing is, like, the, at this high level, they made a lot of uh, sheets. They made a lot of um, um, airbags for cars. Interesting. Um, a lot of uh, carpets um, and things like that. And um, one factory could have maybe a 1,000 machines in it. And there was, like, one man per 25 machines. So it's not labor-intensive. It's highly automated. That's specialized. Yeah, yeah. But in um, in um, uh, El Salvador, we, do you remember that factory, Emily? Wasn't that oh. just the most cool thing ever? Amazing. Amazing to see every aspect from like the raw cotton coming in to like the final, the final product. I mean, it was. The t-shirt or whatever. <laughs> well, yeah, to the fabric. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. It was amazing. They come in like a a one ton bales and you like comb it down and run it through machines and everything. And, um, there are different kinds of, um, um, spinning machines that I, the act of taking the fluff of cotton and turning it into a yarn is called spinning. And uh, along the evolution of the making of these machines, the last kind of semi uh, slow one, if you will, is called ring spun. And that's when the, the fluff comes down and spins around in a circular thing in a ring. And when I visited these factories in America, they all did this other process called uh, jet um, spinning, which is with air jets and it's super fast, but like super mechanical. And the ring spinning gives the yarn more character. It's got more body to it. It's just, it's just like a nicer quality, but they stopped doing it because it was more expensive. But countries like El Salvador now, I realized, are doing that. So you can get a really good quality fabric. And the cool thing too is the whole kafta uh, situation that if you get by, um, clothing from El Salvador that has um, originates all of the uh, components, like the fabric comes from El Salvador and the labor and, um, you know, certain other rules to uh, uh, respect, then it can come into the United States without having to pay any tariff on it. So that makes them super competitive and they can get here in like maybe a week. It's really right, because of proximity. Right. That's incredible. Yeah, it was so fascinating. Yeah. Well, what are some takeaways? I mean, you guys, I mean, are, are projects or ideas that you, mm-hmm. you know, have that you now want to try to implement or, or, you know, forge, you know, deeper bonds with the people that you met? I am, I definitely um, am actively forging deeper bonds um, with, you know, some of the the people that we met. Um, and in fact, we will be having uh, one of those, one of those women on our show very soon, Lula Mena. Lula Mena, yeah, she's, she's an incredible woman. Um, you know, it's, there aren't a lot of female entrepreneurs in El Salvador. And she has a, a, a uh, she's an artist who turned her art into um, fashion, and she goes around the country seeking out other female artisans and teaches them how to turn their art into a wearable goods. And um, so, you know, her boutique, she sells these goods, and um, a good percentage of that goes back to, to support these women and their families. And so the for the first time ever, these women not only have jobs, but they be they have become the financial stronghold in the family. So that that is just completely, you know, culturally unheard of, and uh, very very innovative. Um, and you know, so there's this kind of feminist movement that's rising as a result of that, which is absolutely incredible. So I, I think that that was one of probably a high an absolute highlight for me. Um, and there's lots of young talent there too, which I know, Mary, you're you're actively involved in conversations yeah, with. Yeah, I've been uh, staying in contact with um, Mariana, who um, her company's name is Brave, B R A V E, and um, she's just such an interesting person and has these gorgeous shirts that I should have worn mine that have um, embroidered on the sleeve. Things like on one sleeve, it says brave. And on the next one, it says powerful. Oh, nice. Brave and powerful. They're very like empowering, but 
in a very gentle and um, tasteful way. It's really, really well done. And she she started to get um, uh, leftovers from the uh, waste from cutting the the shirts and things. And we're going to collaborate to, to use this system that I have a patent for called Reclaim to um, make new clothes out of scraps of uh, from the waste of making clothes. Oh, how, Isn't that amazing? How fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Mary, how long were you working on that patent project? Well, you know what? It started, um, I would say, probably in 2000. 13 or 12, um, I was teaching at uh, Oklahoma State University in Stillwater, and I put a call out to the undergrad students, and I just said, does anybody want to talk about sustainable textiles and sustainable fashion? Come on Friday afternoon to this room at noon. And about 14 people showed up. It was great. <laughs> and we started a conversation, and we were real, like, focusing on the making. So, um, you know, every week we'd meet, and the, the numbers would dwindle down and uh, ended up with three other girls, uh, or three girls, um, young women, and we met every Friday and we experimented with knitting and weaving. And um, then we just kind of used the u- university's u- uh, facilities and what they had and used some specialized machines and came up with a system that not only um, is zero waste, so you make clothes, but you don't have to throw any of the extra fabric away after you cut it out of the fabric. You can also design the um uh, visual part of the garment as you're laying down the the material, so it uh, so you can create transformative clothes and um, things that are really kind of like what we've never seen before. Watch out, it's coming! <laughs> wow, wow. So, how long were you at Oklahoma State? I was there for six years. So I'm, I have family in Oklahoma, and my sister oh, yeah. works at Oklahoma State. So I have to say, go Pokes. Yes, exactly. No folks. <laughs> folks. Very right. much so. I that's have to cool. say that. That's so yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, so that's that's awesome. And then then you came to Wash U before or after you spent your time on the Paris streets hawking your wares. <laughs> after. I did after. that when I was right out of the gate. <laughs> right after college. I um uh I actually, I went uh, to Paris to study for a month. And when I left, I didn't even really know where all the countries were. Because <laughs> back there, we didn't have Google Maps and all that kind of stuff. And I didn't have to take geography in high school. So I, I, you know, I was like, yeah, I'm going to go to Europe. And um, I had such an amazing experience. I studied at the Paris American Academy. And um, I came back, I was completely transformed. I was a different person. And, uh, so I found a way to Were you go there for again. just one month? I, I want mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Just one month. Okay. I want to make sure I yeah. heard that correctly. Okay. I was, I was there for a month. I lived in an apartment on the left bank, um, near the Luxembourg gardens and the school, um, you had classes every day with all these fashion industry people. Um, and you would go behind the scenes and go to, go to Chanel or go to the show of Come de Garçon or go to this or go to that. And it was just like, and then they had teachers that taught you how to draw and how to, you know, develop and think about clothing in these very different ways. And so it really transformed me. And I came back and I'm originally uh, from Southern Illinois. I grew up on a farm. And I did my undergrad at SIU Carbondale. And so this was the time of that. And I uh, 
I didn't want to work retail and I didn't really know New York because I'd been to Paris. (laughs) So I ran across one of my professors who said, do you want to go to grad school? And um, uh, I was like, yeah, sure. That would be great. So actually I have her a lot too. Her name is Dr. Kay Grice. She's um, retired now in, in, from the University of Florida State in Tallahassee. Um, but um, she said, well, help us organize a trip to go back to Paris and you can go for free. And then you just have to work, you know, like a graduate assistantship. And so I did. And I ended up staying away for about 10 years. Okay. So now that makes sense. I'm like, wow, you ran a boutique in a month, but uh, 10 years in no, Paris. No, no. That's the story. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Did you fall in love with Paris and the French men or the women and the fashion? I mean, are you, do you consider yourself part French now? <laughs> I mean, it's hard. Yeah. You spend 10 years someplace, you're bound to take on, you know, assimilate some of that culture into your life. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I, I feel very, very at home when I go to Paris and I go to Paris every chance I get my, my good friend, Peter Carmen has the school actually that I went to. I met him like years and years and years ago. So we've both kind of started at the same time at this school and now he's the owner of it and the president. And, uh, so I feel really comfortable there, but, um, I can't really say I'm like half French, but it's part of me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> a quarter French. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I, I'm curious, Mary, when you were talking about, you know, you're starting to think about um, no waste and um, all of that back in 2012 and the idea for this, this invention came to mind. Um, you know, that seems really progressive. I don't, I don't, I don't recall really hearing about sustainability and these issues in the in fashion. Um, so, uh, what got you thinking about that? And was that happening? And I just, you know, it maybe wasn't. Uh, it, you know, I wasn't hearing about it then. Or has that transition really unfolded more recently? Can you tell me a little bit about that inspiration and what got you there? Sure. Yeah. No, I totally hear where you're coming from because in the past, I would say two to three years, sustainability in fashion has like exploded. <laughs> um, right. But, uh, academics and um, certain, I guess, certain circles, if you will, were very much thinking about it and have been thinking about it for a while. Um, I, uh, you know, I have a twofold answer to that question. I have a personal answer and then I have a professional answer. <laughs> okay, great. Let's have them both. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So my professional answer is that, um, you know, I don't know the whole like kind of like business of being in academia. Um, I got into high level research, one level academia kind of late in my career because I had this whole other career before I did that. And um, uh, you have to have a, you have to declare a path of study, like what you want to become like known for and, and when when you do a doctorate and stuff like that, that's like your goal, you build a body of work. And, um, one of the areas that I grew up, um, living with depression era parents was, Mm. uh, waste, not want not. Right. Right. (laughs) So, um, my, for example, my mom, 
came to visit us in Paris. And uh, when we had our boutique and our manufacturing, we had like the boutique on the ground floor, a little studio apartment up above. And then in the basement, my husband had completely remodeled it. So we had a full like um, uh, pattern making studio. We had a, a, a a dark room. We had a sewing room and we had a big room where we had a big table and we cut like 50, a hundred pieces at once. And then we'd bundle them up and, and, and the sewing people would take them back to their um, sewing businesses. And then they'd bring back clothes a week or two later. And so we did the cutting. So here's my mom in Paris. And what do you think she takes back with her? She didn't take like a snow globe with the Eiffel tower she took bags of the scraps of fabrics that we cut away from um, making the clothes. Wow. Well, what was she wanting to do with it? Make a quilt out of yeah. them or something? Yeah, yeah. Okay. she quilted all her life. She had a she had a group of um, two groups. One was called Mama's Relatives. Oh, fun. Because their mamas got together the first Thursday of every month to quilt. And then when they died, they're, you know, their kids. And then they were like cousins and stuff like that. Wow. Wow. How how fabulous is that? Isn't that cool? And then she she could bring back this fabric from Paris and have even better story, right? When she's sitting there with all of her friends quilting. I mean, she was, she was on like cloud nine. She was a rock star (laughs) in the quilting circle at that point. (laughs) Yeah. Is your mom still with us or she passed? No, she passed uh, five years ago this, this, this spring. I'm yeah. Sorry. yeah. 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 Do you have her quilts? Oh, I do. You know what? I have one on uh, both of my beds in here, in here. The one I have on um, our main bed is one when, when my mom was, um, Oh, what was it? It was their like 50th wedding anniversary or something. It was 1991 and um, their house burned down. Oh my. And nobody got hurt, but she had probably had about a hundred quilts in the house. Gosh. (laughs) And, um, uh, you know, all of her possessions, all her photos, it was really traumatic. And so right after this, this group of women, uh, mama's relatives, they each did a quilt square and they uh, then put it into a quilt that they all quilted and they all signed their names on it. Yeah. So that's the quilt I'm sleeping underneath. That's nice. Oh my gosh. That is wonderful. I kind of feel like I have all their hands on me, you know? Yeah. 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 Have, oh my gosh. You, you feel their love every day, yeah. every day. The love they had for your mom and uh, that you right. get to, you get to um, enjoy that uh, and uh, with those memories. Yeah. Well, let's, um, let's take a real quick break. And when we come back, we'll continue, you know, diving into this conversation about fashion and then sustainability and El Salvador and all this <laughs> kind of stuff. It's been fat. It's been fabulous, but I know I need to put a little bit more wine in my glass. I don't know about you guys. Oh, and em- Emily's not here to, to fair pour. So I I'm know. on my own. <laughs> you get more than your own fair pour right now. <laughs> I yeah. am. I'm totally doing that. So okay. we'll be, we'll be right back in a moment. Sounds great. Michelle, I'm so excited. We have a new sponsor. I know, Emily. We're thrilled to bring them on board as partners here at Clearly Speaking the Podcast. It's a great group of people. It's worry-free marketing. Uh-huh. And, you know, I discovered them many years ago when I first moved to St. Louis. I was doing a lot of independent consulting work at that time. And this company was my go-to resource whenever I knew 
a company needed a new website or website work. They needed help in that digital world, driving good prospects to their website through AdWords, Facebook campaigns, whatnot. They just did a great job. And I love those guys. So they're a sponsor for us and they're like our social media partners, right? Exactly. I I mean, this is like a really great resource for us. I mean, you have done an incredible job with your phone and your (laughs) iPad and your laptop, you know, putting things together. But it's nice when you can have a team behind you. That's right. I mean, because things happen more quickly when you have a team versus trying to do it all by yourself. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's its own specialty. Marketing is such a tough thing and to do a really good job at it. I mean, I'm a visual person, a creative person. So I've I've done the best that I can, but you know. And the nice thing when you get to a point in a business and you realize, hey, I I need to bring somebody on. If you Mm -hmm. reach out to a company like Worry-Free Marketing, and then you bring them on board, you are not going to be disappointed at all with the resources, with the research, with the analysis that they give you the with the strategy, you know. Yeah. Um, and we are so blessed to have them on board here at Clearly Speaking, the podcast. I'm Absolutely. very excited about this relationship. I know. Isn't it wonderful? It's great. So they can reach Worry Free at worryfreemarketing.com. And uh, you can always yeah, click we'll make... on the link from our website too. That's absolutely right. All right. So thank you, Worry Free. You've definitely helped us be worry free. And we're back. <laughs> Fresh glasses and ready to roll. That's right. That's right. Um, and I like, kind of like being left on my own and pouring how much I want to drink in the <laughs> class and not having to share with anybody. No rations here. Yeah. No rations. It's all, it's all for me. And all I have to do is stumble across the hall when I'm done, straight into bed, wake up tomorrow morning. That's, right? that's, that's true. Yeah. Hopefully that's how most of our listeners are listening to our <laughs> podcasts with their glass of wine in their home and they can stumble up to their bed as well. That's right. <laughs> yes. Because people aren't driving, right? Not a lot of folks are driving to work, so they're not commuting and listening to us. So hopefully they're finding that time somewhere in their, um, social, in their, you know, safe at home, uh, uh, uh hours to, Uh, listen to the podcast. Um, That's right. Adapting it, adapting it so that they can uh, still enjoy it when they used to possibly listen to us all the time while while they were driving. I know. (laughs) And now they can't. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want anybody to risk getting like stopped by their local police or anything like that because they're out just driving for 45 minutes to an hour, just listening to this on the, uh, you know, I, yeah. I respect you not to do that. I I ask you, please, not to do that. (laughs) Definitely. Well, Mary, um, I know that you've you've had you know many international experiences, not just in travel, but you've also lived. uh, You've talked about Paris. You've lived in Morocco as well, right? I did. Yeah, yeah. How long were you in Morocco, and what took you there? Well, you know, it's uh, really interesting how you, you know, life sends you uh, curveballs that end up being home runs, I guess, but, um, or lemons and lemonades. I was trying to get that straight the other day with my, my students. Um, I had this really weird health thing happen to me when I was in Europe, Europe, um, sort of like a rheumatoid arthritis where I, my, I was, uh, my joints were all swollen and, uh, um, uh, painful. And I was in the hospital and they were giving me all this cortisone and stuff. And they didn't know what was wrong with me. I was on crutches. And, and how old were you at this time? 
I was in my early 30s. Oh, so really young to be experiencing this kind of, yeah. yeah. Really young. And um, they didn't know. They didn't know if it would last for six months. And well, if if it, when I left the hospital, the doctor said it could go away from one day to the next, or you might have it for the rest of your life. And so um, I went to another doctor, you know how you do. Right. (laughs) And uh, this doctor said that uh, if it attacks six joints and um, lasts longer than six months, then it's probably chronic rheumatoid arthritis and I'll have to start all these other kind of treatments and all this stuff. And he said, or, you know, we don't know what's causing it, but it could be your lifestyle. It might be stress. It might be the food. It might be the climate. They didn't really know, but... um, with my husband, we decided that maybe that that would be good. It would be a lot time to change our lifestyle. So we kind of threw our um, hook in the sea and were recruited to go teach fashion design at um, this uh, uh, franchise of a French benchmark fashion school called S-Mode. And wow. um, so uh, we, like, we didn't really know. It's kind of like with El Salvador, right? We were right. like, uh, people were telling me, oh, you're, fair skinned and blonde, you're going to get captured and, you know, all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And so they actually were very gracious and they uh, said, well, come down and check it out for 48 hours. If you don't like it, you can go home and you've just had a trip and it's okay. And we went and it was fantastic. Casablanca is such a cool place. Is it now? Yeah. And the people are so nice that we ended up accepting the position offer. And so we lived in Casablanca for four years. Wow. Oh my gosh. And did your rheumatoid arthritis clear up? Oh my gosh. That's the craziest thing. So um, after about two months, I was symptom free. And it's that never amazing. Wow. And pictures of me at the beginning were like walking around in the souk and everything. And my face is a little pained. And, you know, you can tell when somebody's not really feeling well. And um, after two months, it was just all gone. Oh my God, that's such a quick recovery. Yeah, well, you know, in 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 countries like developed countries, I guess you might say, or whatever, maybe not um, oceanic countries. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, we eat a lot of processed food, a lot of things that come, you know, with even the animals are grown with special processes to make them grow faster and stuff like that. And so um, there we, I, I was lucky enough to have a housekeeper who was a great cook, Aisha. And uh, we would, she would go to the market every day and we had fresh everything every single day. Oh my gosh. Wow. wow. And what's the, what's the climate uh, more of like an arid climate in Casablanca or is it still humid because of the still humid? Yeah. Okay. That was so. another one of the paradoxes with what, what went wrong with me because other people in Casablanca would complain of the rheumatism. <laughs> <laughs> and so you worked with the, st- like, was it an international school or was it uh, basically locals f- or from, from that, from the continent? It was, it was, it was all Moroccan students. Um, and it was a very, so after the first year, um, they, the franchise or the Moroccan franchisors didn't really, um, like the terms of the French franchise that they had been involved in. So they left that to the other person and they, um, paired up with a Canadian fashion school called, um, Collège La Salle that's based in Montreal. It's an enormous school, um, of, uh, one of the, I think it's the largest French speaking fashion school in the country and the world. Wow. Um, And uh, at that time they were wanting to expand as like, you know, um, 
like we were doing in El Salvador, actually. They wanted to help a, a French-speaking country, which Morocco it was even more than, but, you know, they're, they're bilingual. But when we were there, the government voted to change the language of the grade schools to be Arabic. So before that, kids would learn French starting all the way through the school system, and, and it would almost be like Arabic was their second language, but they kind of flipped it. Um, hmm. when we were there. So anyway, so yeah, we opened up their Moroccan branch and um, that was really interesting too, because um, they had me be their pedagogical director. So since I kind of knew the French way of, of like the European way of kind of doing things and the American way of doing things, I was like translating the uh, Canadian like pedagogy to that system. So, and your husband was a part of your team and he obviously has a fashion background as well because you had the boutique together. Is he still in fashion? He's not. Nope. No, his, his background actually, and his master's, he's from Bucharest in uh, Romania and he has a, 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 a degree in industrial design. So oh. he is, he's kind of more shifted to objects. <laughs> I guess he likes that more. He's really good at like crafting this object. So he makes, you know, lamps and chairs and, and things like that. Um, but he's also, he's an, has an am- amazing creative mind and um, can just sort of whip out fashion designs that are amazing too. He's, he's done some jewelry. Um, I, I can't wait to show you actually, Emily, oh. his jewelry. I would it's- love to see it. Yeah, it's kind of like um, uh, he takes old things. His whole principle is taking old things and making them into new things as well. Um, but that comes from his Romanian, you know, Eastern European communist restrictions. When back then you had to, you just couldn't go to Home Depot and buy stuff. So you had to kind of <laughs> figure it out with what you had. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. So you're you're both uh, into you know, sustainability and no waste. (laughs) Right. Fantastic. I do have to do a bit of a caveat because if you tell my husband that you're excited that he's into sustainability, he'll have a bone to pick in some ways. Okay. Um, Because for him, uh, and I don't know, if this is the, if this is like two way off topic, just, you know, cut it out or whatever. Yeah, I'm curious. The, the, the deal is, you know, he, he grew up in communist Romania and um, all during the Cold War, that whole side of the political spectrum was doing a lot of uh, kind of what we're has flared up lately. Actually, if you think about it, that misinformation or the false yeah. news or whatever, yeah. like manipulating Western um, popular opinion. And people think that it's all now because we talk about it a lot more, but it's been happening for a long, long time. Yeah. And my husband says that um, Greenpeace and a lot of the um, kind of more left-wing types of organizations were uh, funded uh, by the Eastern Bloc, by Russia, or not Russia, but the Soviet Union, to kind of destabilize Western um, uh, economy and, uh, you know, uh, uh, peace of mind. So people would be looking for another solution. And then they would come in with the, the solution that that's be like us, you know? Yeah. Um, and so he, he's this really interesting paradox because he doesn't like those labels, but everything he does is sustainability. That's you know, he, he does it more because of his values than, than because of some kind of a label to it, you know? Mm-hmm. He's not going to succumb to any propaganda. 
That's right. That's yeah. right. That's right. Mm-hmm. And you know, you guys were saying earlier during your like intro, um, kind of about how this not being able to uh, physically be in contact with people and have mm-hmm. and do the things that we've always done may change our behavior and stuff. It was right. Very- well said, um, Emily and uh, Michelle. And I didn't know if you'd ever heard of um, Lee Edelcourt. No. So um, Lee Edelcourt is a, a really important um, trend forecaster in the fashion world. But oh. also she, they, their company called Trend Union um, uh, consults with like Toyota and um uh, uh, you know, um, Herman Miller and companies like that as well on color trends and lifestyle trends and things that are going to be happening like in the world. Wow. What is the, what is the name? Lee? Her name is Lee, L-I, and then E-D-E-L-K-O-O-R-T. And um, I have the uh, great honor, I guess, or I, I just, I don't know, I was just so lucky. You know how I said that Paris changed my life? Yes. So, um, at, for my doctorate, I interviewed in, uh, luxury level industry designers and um, uh, trend forecasters about creativity and technology. And this was back in 2007. And one of Lee Edelcourt's like right hand people at the time, who is now her partner and the North American director for Trend Union, was my interview subject. So I've known him for a long time. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, his name is Philip Fumano, and um, he came actually and mentored the senior students this year in um, at uh, WashU. We always have a designer come in or someone, you know, from the industry to talk to them about their their work and their concept and concept development and kind of what's going on. And Philip came in and did that. And so um, Lee and Philip are partners in in this uh, business. And she has a business of fashion podcast that just came out about how the coronavirus is going to uh, change, kind of maybe strip things back and make us look at our values and uh, at like what really counts in the world and, and, uh, kind of reset. Yeah. I'd love to yeah. hear that. Yeah. I think that's, um, I think that's, that's so true. I think resetting, I mean, you could even, it's resetting on so many levels, not just for the, the humans walking around, you know, it's resetting with the environment. You know, when you're looking at the, the maps that they show on, on the news about the, the air pollution, or they had a picture of like LA with the, like this, like the, blue skies like that they wow you know, smog like free. total blue skies because yeah. you know we're not polluting it so sometimes my son and I are like do you think mother nature just said you guys haven't been listening to me so guess what I'm putting you all in time out until we get your shit That's together cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know I want to give my I want to give the rest of the people or the rest of the species and the rest of everything on this planet a chance so you humans are going to go go to your rooms and stay <laughs> there until I let you come out <laughs> <laughs> You've been bad, bad, bad. Time yeah. to go to your room. Yeah. You got to yeah. be careful. You never want to mess with Mother Nature, as they always say. Um, well, yeah. that's, I mean, what what kind of things do they besides you know changing? Like, I mean, it's, do you think fashion's going to change because of it? I mean, I know we are all, you know, from from our waist down, we're all sitting in our yoga pants right now. 
you know, because, you know, are, are, are we going to be like only dressing <laughs> exactly only dressing for like a, you know, a, a two by four square, you know, like, like accessorizing. Well, you know, those, are, those are great questions. And even before all this craziness, you know, came upon us. So we, uh, we talked to our students about, you know, it used to be, you talked to them about hanger appeal, like what mm-hmm. a garment would look like on the rack and where the label would be and, you know, how that would be. And now we have to talk about that you know, a square image or the, the image on the screen and how appealing it is. So mm-hmm. things have been changing for a while, but I think, and I do think, yes, you know, there's all sorts of stuff out there about how leisure wear is uh, going to kind of mesh with what you might wear to work. And it's going to be different from athleisure. And yeah. Um, some of those companies are showing, you know, um, uh, profits already because, you know, people are buying online and all. But I think one thing, maybe less um, obvious aspect of the fashion industry that is really unsettling. And I don't really know how, how it's all going to shake out or all of those poor factory workers in those factories that are going to have no orders anymore. And they live like from week to week on what they make on the factories and everybody around them is incredibly poor. And I just don't know what we're going to do. Yeah, you know, earlier, Mary, when you were talking about how uh, the industry of fashion, I mean, it really is what gives third world countries a chance to become a, um, become a part of the world economy. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, these um, factories employ, you know, hundreds, thousands of people and they have families and it feeds those families. And so the impact... Um, you know, uh, uh, in these developing countries where we depend on getting our textiles from, you know, it's, 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 quite, it's, quite it's staggering. And yeah. and not, not every one of those governments have, has the treasury that the United States does to put out a two or $3 trillion aid package to keep those companies afloat. Right. I mean, I mean, you know, we, we, we do have, we do have a lot, um, a lot more things um, that can benefit us here, uh, but we'll, exactly. I guess, be thankful for. Yeah, mm-hmm. we'll, but we'll feel that. I mean, we'll feel the 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 pain of those companies going down or not being able to survive the coronavirus in their own countries because then the the goods won't be coming in as frequently and as cheaply, and then it'll drive up the cost. And so we'll have to learn how to reclaim our fashion and redo things, and um, you know maybe I'll need to actually, you know, sew a button back on (laughs) versus just buying a new shirt, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, it's so interesting. I can't believe you said reclaim because that's the, uh, the name of my company, my company and my, my project. Oh my gosh. Which is why I said reclaim because you told us about it earlier. Yeah. 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 It's a call. (laughs) It's spelled C-L-E-M. And that comes from Clarissa, Lene, Elizabeth, and Mary, all of us inventors. That's our initials. Oh, oh wow. Okay. Are they still involved with you and the project? You know, we're, we, we connect every once in a while, but they were, you know, 
graduates out of college and they're gone off to one's a shoe designer in New York. Another one is a, um, uh, she's gone into programming and coding in LA and the other one has her own business making like really beautiful, fluffy evening gowns in Oklahoma city. So we stay in touch, but, um, and they're, they're definitely interested. They're definitely supportive, but I'm kind of like leading the uh, charge. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Oh my Um, gosh. So I know, Mary, you have a few other kind of innovation projects you're involved in right now. Anything that you care to share with us that the world should know about? Well, the one that's been on, I guess, come to my radar uh, within the past week, you know, with Mm -hmm. this pandemic, it's like, uh, breakneck speed. It really is. I didn't, I didn't really understand that <laughs> until, until these right. days, because at, like every minute, every other hour, you get a new email that's going to tell you about something new. So, um, I've been, um, uh, ever since right when, you know, I guess just the coronavirus hit, there was, um, uh, one of the design local designers that I've, uh, been working with, uh, teaching a class at WashU, Michael Drummond. Um, we were talking and he, he was starting to get into the whole thing of DIY masks. And, um, we, you know, uh, talked about it and he was talking to doctors and I was talking to doctors. And then I get involved with this other group of architects and engineers that were looking into making the, um, 3D printing the shield that, oh. like, that goes around your head that holds a shield in. Yes. We were making 3D models and uh, seeing if they could 3D print them at WashU or locally um, for that. And then I started getting involved in a subgroup of that that was looking into those N95 masks. Right. Um, because, uh, you know, that is really the level of medical grade um, uh, protection. And uh, we've, I was on a call on Saturday or a Zoom on Saturday with four or five different prototypes that people are making. And it's so interesting because I'm the only like real textile kind of fashion maker, designer person that is in these groups and they're, they're being really innovative, but then they get like to a block where, oh, well, I need to know what this material is, but I don't know anything about materials. So then I can like jump in and I'll say, okay, well, that looks like, oh, you say it's probably propylene. Okay. So this is why it's like that. And that's what that does. And, you know, kind of talking about why that's the material of choice. And then how can we replicate that material out of what we find locally? Because right. yeah, it's locally and we need yeah. to do it like now. Yeah. You know, and, and the other thing with uh, you being a fashion designer is you can really speak to the fit aesthetic, which especially with masks is extremely important because it without is. a good fit, they're not going to be doing their job. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then they've also, just like within the last 24 hours, um, the heat has turned up uh, kind of like dramatically for making gowns. Right. Yes. Um, because I guess in, they were saying, you know, I don't know, uh, somebody wrote that in New York, they're using trash cans, trash, trash bags. bags. Oh, yeah. my and, gosh. And, you know, so uh, I'm trying to I, I, I actually have some gowns and some fabric that they make gowns out of because we were going to do a project last fall at WashU and MedTech, this company that actually supplies the gowns out of Chicago, had sent me a bunch. So I shared some of my samples with uh, Michael Drummond, and he's looking, experimenting about ways of maybe using that fabric in in the ones he's making. And um, then uh, there were some.
some gowns in there so I, I can make the pattern quite easily and I could you know, do a quick YouTube thing of how to make this gown. But once again, the problem is the material because we have to be careful that it is a, um, a material that they'll let into hospitals. Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you see the, the, the CDC says, you know, if you're giving care to someone with the virus, you, um, um, uh, any kind of a mask is better than, you know, the best. No, kind of right. Yeah. yeah. Or no mask. But then, you know, at some level you want to have that good mask. So that's on the side of like protecting yourself from the virus. And then actually in a project with stars designs mm-hmm. um, and evolution St. Louis that you've um, been in on Emily. Right. Um, it's even taking it a whole step further. I'm so excited about that project because it's not only protecting you from the virus, it is a, a project to, can I say, is it okay? I, yeah. I, I mean, I wouldn't maybe share some of the proprietary stuff, but We're yeah, I think you can share the, the big picture. Absolutely. Yeah, the big picture is like to kill it bef- as soon as it touches you. Yep. Wouldn't that be That's amazing? <laughs> so the fabric right. would, would, um, Render it opposite, render it use, um, inactive. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Interesting. Well, that's, that's definitely And that's very changing exciting. minute to minute too, Mary. I mean, Ooh, that's evolving fast, which is really exciting. Yeah. Well, yeah. my question, my question is, um, when you're going through and you're making these masks, are you able to source within our region for, for materials for these gowns and stuff or no, how far? Know. You don't know yet? Okay. No, I haven't gotten there yet. Um, I I had an idea because they're made, the best ones, even if you were to make them at home, like they say to make them out of cotton. And, and like I say, anything is better than nothing. But um, uh, the cotton still has holes in it because it's woven. And anything knitted is still going to have holes in it, even if they're really tiny. And even if they're several layers, because, you know, it's yeah. that's how it's made. But um, this polypropylene that is fiber web, it it's like felt, so there are no holes. It's just a web. Okay. And um, this polypropylene material is also called Tyvek. And so I thought, okay, great. I'm going to go to Home Depot and I'm going to get a um, painter's overalls made out of Tyvek and I'm going to experiment with it. And I, actually, I wasn't going to go. I was going to have my son go get them for me because he runs all right. <laughs> And and he was like, okay, but you go on on Home Depot, you pick it out, you pay for it, and I'll just go pick it up. And I'm like, yeah, sure, that's fair fine. enough. So I go on, and there are no Tyvek um, painter overalls within a hundred mile radius of St. Louis. Oh my wow. gosh! Somebody knows something already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I was hearing, you know, on on the radio or something about how. They, they want all the like the construction workers and the, um, you know, anyone that uses any kind of mask or any kind of protective overalls to donate them to the hospitals. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Oh, this so is so fascinating. So much to learn. Uh, yeah. but, and so much is, an, wow. Well, amazing. and just think about it, you guys. When you were in El Salvador, none of this was on your radar. And you go only, you've only been home to the, to the States for a month. Right. And how many how many projects you've been redirected and you know have come to the forefront and as a high priority versus what you wanted like when you, I know when you were like on the plane coming home you're tired exhausted but you were like this is going to be great or we're going to do this and we're going to pull all this together and now you've had to take your those exciting initiatives and just go oh 
I need to put it over here first and I need to focus in on, on these other, other needs, you know, for that are so, you know, um, yeah. impactful for our, our community and beyond. So hopefully yeah. you've, you've written down all of those other projects that are, you know, inspiring in and creative queue. and artistic and things like that, that you, when we, when we settle down and we get out of this COVID-19, um, uh, time era social experiment that we're all under yeah <laughs> um you'll be able to like flourish with the projects that you had that that are on that have been pushed a little aside right now you know michelle that's uh sir really great points there i i I think about that voice that was within uh before traveling to El Salvador that was saying you've got to go you've got to go and now you know uh, aside from the amazing trip and meeting great people, it does right now feel bigger because, uh, Mary, you know, the, this this group of people that are working to quickly to try and solve this problem of the shortage of supplies and solve it in a not just not just getting supplies out there, but how can we prevent the spread of this disease in a bigger way? Like that is a direct result of all of us meeting there, you know, so yeah, it, it is, it was magical. <laughs> yeah. It feels very much like we were all supposed to meet. It was destiny. Yeah. Yeah. And fate. So. And you know, you just never know, right. We've talked about this in the podcast before about the ripple effects of people meeting, you know, and, mm-hmm. and like somebody bringing you together and you're like, you became, you become friends and then, you know, stuff just happens and you, you think, oh my gosh, if I didn't know that one person, 95% of my life would be different you know, right. or, or, you know, that's, and that's really powerful. And that's, I think that's, a that's one of those lessons about, you know, human connection and, um, that's that when it happens to you, it blows your mind. Yeah. And you hold on to it. Exactly. Exactly. You know, really. And, yeah, uh, very well said. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, I'm excited to hear more about your projects and, to, and to hear, you know, through Emily and, and, you know, through the podcast and stuff, you know, please, you know, share with us, you know, cool Thank things you. that are happening. Um, mm-hmm. I am, um, you know, I, I'm a, anything that's in the, like the slimming black, cu- you know, cuts, you know, <laughs> I, anything you find in that, you know, like send that my way, you know, I'm, um, I, uh, I, I live in that world, you know, um, <laughs> on a chromatic black, maybe a little splash of color, you know, nothing too, nothing too over the top. Um, cause I don't want people to get Emily and I confused when we're out, <laughs> you know, I, I, yeah. Cause otherwise, you know, people will be like, I don't know which one's which. Who's who? You know? yeah, Twinsies. Exactly. They're both so fashion forward. I can't <laughs> tell, you know, not until they start talking, you know? Um, but, uh, but so yeah, if you find, you know, I, I like, I like that. I like to, I like to joke about my, my, my choices and comfort. Absolutely. Comfort. Yeah. yeah. Um, I do, I do have my yoga pants on, on, you know, waist down. I I, I don't wear yeah. my yoga pants higher than that anyway, but like for <laughs> anybody that's watching, you know, I, I, I have them on, you know, below the screen, below the two inches yeah. and the yeah. four inches. But um, yeah. this has been, you know, fabulous, Mary. I, you Thank know, I, you. I've enjoyed meeting you, talking with you. These are great projects and, um, what a fabulous, you know, history you have. And, um, I hope to post COVID-19 social distancing, let's get together in real life in, you know, 3D, not 2D yeah, and wait. have a, have a couple bottles of wine. That would and, be amazing. Yeah. And, and, I and just, talk. I cannot wait. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be yeah. great. 
So I'm very honored to be invited to talk to you guys. This has been really fun. Oh, it was thanks. uh it was it was a no-brainer. I knew right away when I met you. I'm like, okay, this is gonna happen. So thank you so much, yeah. Mary. Thank you yeah. for sharing with us and um really looking forward to seeing you in person again soon. Yeah, as soon as possible. <laughs> and yeah. stay healthy. You and your husband and your family stay healthy. Thank you. All right. Thank you. All right. Take care. Cheers. 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 Ching ching. ching, ching. <laughs>